right now. We'll be wrapping up a sermon series that we started in the beginning of December called A Real Christmas. And the real Christmas is kind of a play on the words. Uh, we're looking at uh, sort of the gospel or, you know, messages that can be found in uh, modern uh, Christmas movies and classical Christmas movies. And so the first week, my wife and I taught on um, the Christmas story where you'll shoot your eye out, kid. And um, that was a great one. And then the second week, last week, I talked about Elf. And so I preached the gospel according to Elf. And um, by the way, all of our messages are available for free on our website, on our podcast. And so you can check them out uh, if you missed any of those. But today we're going to be looking at the Grinch and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Um, there's, there's actually, I was kind of torn because I, I really liked, I was born in 1980. And so I grew up on the old Grinch, right? The one that came out, was written in 1957, came out in 1966. That's what, that's what I grew up on, right? And kids these days will never know what they're missing. But, um, but in the year 2000, uh, there, there was another Grinch that was, that was produced, and it was um, more, of a, more of a full-length movie um, with Jim Carrey. And that's the one that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, but I was kind of torn because I really like the old one, um, and we have the new one. And it's just there's some interesting differences between the two, and I might I might just get into that. But I only have I only have a few minutes here, and so I want to I want to deliver just just a message to you from the Grinch about fear and about conquering fear. Um, uh, my lovely wife is sitting right down here on the front row, and um, Row and I met online. And many of you know that we met online back uh, was it 13 years ago? We was when we back before it was cool. So when it was still kind of creepy, um, <laughs> AOL Messenger, Yahoo Messenger, you got mail kind of kind of stuff. We met in a like on a Christian dating site, which was a whole story in itself. But um, anyway, we, we we started talking online by, via email. She's from New Zealand. I'm from Michigan. And um, she was living in Colorado, and we, 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 we would talk on mail and instant messenger and things like that for about three years. And, um, and then when we finally met, we met in person because I was, I was traveling with a traveling minister, and we, we happened to be in Denver. And so she drove down, and we hung out, and, and that's kind of how our courtship started. Um, I was kind of freaked out because it's weird to get to know somebody uh, over like online and over the phone without actually seeing them in person. It really is pretty strange. And so when I saw her in person, it was, it weird, freaked me out and I don't like things outside of my boxes. And so, um, so I just didn't call her back. It's kind of how that one works. Um, cause I just figured it was over, you know? And, um, but anyway, she called me and said she was leaving the country and I said, well, maybe we should meet one more time. And so we met again and that's when some fireworks began flying. And so we started dating and she was offered a job where I was working and um, I was still kind of embarrassed about the whole uh, online thing because it was still sort of shady and desperate. You know, it was one of those weird, it just wasn't, you know, for those of you that were living back in those days, you know what I'm saying. Nowadays, it's like, you know, you get, you, you propose to somebody over a text message. But back in the day, that's not how we rolled. And um, it was just kind of weird. So when people ask me how we met or like, you know, yeah, they would ask me, how did you meet? I would say, well, we met when I was in Bible college. 
because every preacher meets their wife at Bible college. And so I didn't, I didn't really lie. I just said when I was in Bible college, which is true when I, that's, we met online. So, um, so I sort of kept it a little bit of a secret and, 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 and I don't know if it's this way for ladies, but I know for guys, there's like, there's like a pre dating phase that you're in. It's like, we're sort of dating, but we're not necessarily going public yet. Does anybody, has anybody ever experienced the pre dating well, anyway, girls don't tend to understand this phase. Um, it's mostly a guy made up phase, I think. It's just kind of in our head. And um, so I was in that phase. I was in the pre like, And so we were in my little cubicle. I was working on the computer and we were holding hands in the cubicle, you know, because that's what you do when you're newly in love. You hold hands all the time. And, and we're sitting there holding the hands. And we, we still hold hands a lot, which is good. It's still, still good. So anyway, somebody comes around the corner of the cubicle, and I kind of pulled my hand away because I needed to work on my computer. It's, it's all part of the plan. I mean, I can't like, one-hand it, you know. <laughs> I had to act like I was working. So anyway, so after that person walked out of the cubicle, she was like, so what was that all about? And I'm like, oh, I'm working on the computer, you know, need both hands to type and all that kind of. Anyway, she kind of called me on it. And I think most guys would happily stay in the pre-dating phase if they weren't called on the pre-dating phase by a significant other. And so she said, well, you know, you, know you, you either have to, like, date me in public or not date me in private. And so I decided to make it public. Um, which everybody sort of knew all any, anyway. So that that's a good thing. It's a good thing to have a uh, to have a woman who will who will call you on stuff, and say you have to date me in public if you're going to date me in private. And so, um, ten months later, uh, we put a ring on that finger, and um, the rest is history. So, um, but I'm I'm sharing that story because I think I I, I I I think there comes a time for all of us actually where we have to do in public what kind of what we've been feeling in private. There comes, there comes a point for every, every one of us that we have to get a little bit of courage. You have to get a little bravery, and you have to step into uh, what you've been saying that you want to step into, what you've been talking about and thinking about. There comes a point in time when you just have to, to launch out and do it. And, and, and for me, that would be courage. That would be a time of bravery. That would be a time where, where, where I have to put my, my, my actions where my mouth is. I have to, I have to, I have to own up to what I'm, to what I'm committing to. And I, and I really have to, you know, make this thing public and I really have to commit to this thing and really follow through and do it. And so for several of us, this is my last sermon, by the way, of 2015. And so I figured I would just hit you with a little bit of motivation, a little bit of encouragement that, that, that really, that I believe 2016 can be better for you if you'll get a little bit of courage, if you'll get a little bit of bravery, if you'll step into what you've been walking around and talking about, if you'll actually begin doing what you've been thinking about. I believe that, that 2016 will be even better um, for you if you can learn to have some courage. And so in the story of the Grinch, we see, we see some courage. And um, I would just like to look at that real quick. The first clip that we have is a little clip of Cindy Lou, who, um, who is our first courageous lady uh, in the Grinch story. She ventures on up to the mountain to uh, invite the Grinch.
little girl. How dare you enter the Grinch's lair? The impudent, the audacity, the unmitigated gall. You've called out the thunder. Now get ready for the boom! Gaze into the face of fear. Booga, booga. Mr. Grinch, my name is Cindy Lou Who. You see, even now the terror is welling up inside you. I'm not scared. Denial is to be expected in the face of pure evil. Doubt! Another unmistakable sign of the... Now, your doom! Run for your life before I kill again! I'm a psycho. Oh, maybe you need a time now. <laughs> Kids today, so desensitized by movies and television. What do you want? So that is uh, our first character, Cindy Lou Who. And by the way, I think Jim Carrey pretty much makes this movie. The movie would be pretty awful without his antics. Um, he's he's pretty he's he's pretty hilarious. Although I don't I don't I don't know why he's got the Sean Connery thing going on. You know, he like talks like like Sean Connery the whole time. It's just the way that he he communicates. I'm not sure what that's all about, but. Um, but the, the the movie really starts off with you have you have two sets of people and really one person on top of this hill, Mount Crumpet, and that is the Grinch, and he is Grinchy, as, as you can see, he's pretty ticked off at the world. He doesn't like people, and he doesn't even like little girls. And the Grinch, of course, hates Christmas the most, and that's that's his biggest issue. But then on the other side, down in the valley, you have the Who's, and the Who's loves Christmas the most, and they also. Uh, don't like the Grinch. They don't like to involve the Grinch. And so um, the story is kind of playing out the way that it seems like it had for several years. Um, since Ever since the Grinch had, had moved on up to the, to the hill, he, he was hurt as a, as a little sixth grader or seventh grader and got his feelings hurt. And so he, the kids were mean to him. So he ran up to the hill and he said, I hate Christmas. And he lived all by himself up on Mount Crumpet. And so the Grinch has been ever since then avoiding um, the the who's and trying to make their lives miserable at the same time while hating Christmas and and so this story's been playing out for several years and 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 then the who's have done the same thing they've just gathered in their little town they've bought all of their gifts they've enjoyed their Christmas they've been they've they've stayed in their circle and everything has been fine and that's 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 when our movie kind of starts is when Cindy Lou who says I think something's a little bit off with this picture a little girl says I think something's wrong with this picture and so I think we need to change something I think we need to do something and and what she suggests at first is shocking to the who's but eventually they all go along with it she says let's invite the Grinch to our hubilation and we'll give him this award of I don't know the most who 
person in Whoville. And so we'll present this award to him and invite him into the community. And, and so the Who's go along with it, but of course nobody wants to go talk to the Grinch. And so the little girl has to climb Mount Crumpet and invite the Grinch. And that's where that scene is from. That, that, that's the time that she is um, braving uh, the mountain, braving the Grinch. And she is um, stepping into the Grinch's lair and inviting him to come down. And that is my first point, by the way. The first point is that if you want to be brave, if you want to have bravery and courage, you're going to have to step outside of your typical circle. So there's a sense in which we have, we all have uh, habits and, and, and traditions and things that, that we are so used to doing. But oftentimes, if you want to have different results, you know, in 2016 than you did 2015, then you're going to have to do something a little little moth flying around you're gonna have to do something differently in 2016 than you did in 2015 and so for cindy lou she she starts the ball moving she begins the transformation that will eventually happen to the grinch and to the who's but it all started with somebody who got out of their circle and so my first encouragement my first challenge to you is you might just have to step out of your circle the way things usually are and the people that you normally hang out with And uh, to look at Scripture, there's another fine example of this in the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, in verse 1. We're going to look there together. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And this is the quintessential Christmas passage. Uh, My family, we read this every single Christmas day. My dad whips out the Bible. Before we can open the gifts, we have to read Luke chapter 2 because this is kind of the Christmas story. This is where we learn about the birth of Jesus. And there's, there's little... Little little thing in here that I want to point out to you that I've never noticed until this week, and it's really pretty awesome. And so verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, Augustus is the main, he's, he's the top dog of all of Rome. He's the Caesar. Uh, a decree goes out from him that all the world, the Roman world, should be registered. So verse 2 says, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. We're going to come back to that. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Verse 5 says, he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And next slide is verse 6. So it was that while they were there, The days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. If we can go back to that first passage, I want to I want to look at the first couple of verses because it's so important, by the way. It, you, you have to understand it, it's so important to God that Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Prophetically, it's very important because the prophets all said that the Messiah would come out of Bethlehem. It's also important because they, uh, uh, Jesus would be called the son of David. And so he has to be born in the city of David. It's also important astrologically, I think that's a word, um, with respect to the stars because, because Jesus' star, he had a special star that was a signal to the rest of the world that he was born. That star was going to be hanging over Bethlehem. And that's where the wise men would find him. By the way, it took the wise men two years from the time the star showed up. Most scholars believe it took the wise men about two years to show up to Bethlehem. So when you see the, the little manger with the, the shepherd and the wise men, that didn't really happen. It was the shepherd at the manger. And then two years later, when Jesus was a toddler, the wise men showed up at their house. 
in Bethlehem. But this is what stuck out to me this week as I was reading this, that, that, that Luke is defining the circumstances leading up to Christ's birth. And he could use any number of things to indicate this. He could, he could use, you know, who, you know well, during the time when so-and-so was the high priest or during the, he, he, he didn't use anything religious. It's just interesting to me that all the stuff that we think that God's super concerned about and in control of, he didn't really deal with any of that. Instead, he goes to the time when Caesar Augustus issued this census. And by the way, he says, this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And I think why this jumped out at me is because the word Syria Syria is in the news nowadays. Uh, we're, we're hearing about Syrian refugees. We're hearing about a supposed Syrian civil war. And there's a lot about Syria. And actually, modern-day Syria is geographically pretty similar to ancient Syria. And Syria is throughout the Bible. I think it's mentioned like 300 times in the Bible. When Jesus preached his Sermon on the Mount, he preached it in Syria, Matthew chapter 5. Several miracles were performed in Syria. Syria is a really interesting place. And so I look at this and I think, okay, so, so uh, Luke, is setting the stage for Jesus's birth and this is how he this is how the holy spirit wants us to remember the events that led up to the birth of Jesus there was this census by this dude named Quirinius that's it isn't that awesome that's when Jesus was born isn't that cool and i'm going wait a minute this is why is that important and so i began studying Quirinius and and Quirinius is an interesting character, according to Roman history. He's not really in Scripture, except for this little mention. But according to Roman history, he, he was born of, of just, just in, no, in noble birth. He was a fighter. He was a scrapper. And he led some folks to some victories. And, and so he began rising through the Roman ranks. And, he was, and about six years before Christ was born, he had a major victory. And so he was appointed to be a captain over some armies. And about three years before Christ was born, he had another major victory, so much so that a Augustus took notice of this kid, and he said, man, this guy's going places, and so he arranged a politically advantageous marriage for Quirinius, and then about a year before Jesus was born, six months to a year, he, he, he put him in charge of all of Syria, including the Judean countryside, and including all of Israel. And so he became the, I think they call it, called it the legate, or legate, which is sort of the senator and governor of that region. It's a very powerful position. And his first job as a big boy, his first project that, that Mr. Augustus laid down at, at his desk, he said, I want you to, to do a census of the Jewish people because we're going to start taxing them. We need to know how many of them there are, where they live, when they were born, blah, blah, blah. Now, for the Romans, this was not a big deal. But Augustus knew that this was actually a big deal to the Jews. Which is why he picked this guy who's not a nobleman. He's not, he doesn't know anything about politics. He's just a get it done kind of guy. And so he says, all right, Mr. Get it done. I want you to get this done. I want you to get a, 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 a census of all of the Jews. Now for us, we take censuses all the time in the U.S. Censuses happened uh, in Rome often. But for the Jews, this was a really big deal. Because the Jews didn't take census. They didn't do that. In fact, the last time they had taken a census, to my knowledge, was when David in the Old Testament, about 1,500 years earlier, had taken a census of the people. And God said, wait a minute, I told you you're never to number my people. And 70,000 people died when an angel of the Lord came through the camp. And so to my knowledge, there was never any census taken after that fact. There were a lot of evil kings after that fact, did a lot of bad stuff, but they, they steered clear to my knowledge of taking up a census because that was clearly a no-no and so the jews 
as you can imagine, were pretty opposed to this Quirinius guy and his census. And so Quirinius had to talk to the high priest at that time, according to Roman history. He talked to Zoaz, who was the, the Roman appointed high priest, who talked to the three sects of, that's a fun word, the three sects of uh, Judaism at that time, <laughs> which were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And basically, the message was, you need to tell your people to chill out, because there was rumors of a revolt. Not only were the Jews had to be subject to these idiots in Rome, but now they had to do the ungodly and allow themselves to be counted and to partake in a census. They were going to revolt. And so Zoaz, or Joaz talks to these guys and says, you need to tell your people to chill and just, just go along with the flow. Well, there was one guy who wasn't going to chill, who wasn't going to go along with the flow. His name was Judas of Galilee. And Judas of Galilee said, there's no way, I'm not, I'm not participating in the census. In fact, I am done with this whole Roman thing. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a new sect, singular, a new sect of Judaism. And we're going to call ourselves the Zealots because we are zealous for our traditions. We are zealous for maintaining the law. We are zealous for God. And we are, by violence, we are going to overthrow the Roman government. Now, you have to understand that the towns of those days are different than towns nowadays. Nowadays, a town is just a bunch of people, usually for commerce, who come together and decide they want to live in a certain place. But in these days, towns really consisted of clans, of families. Galilee was probably a couple of hundred people is all that it was. And it was all one big family. Now, some of you that have come from a big family, you know how big families move together. It's kind of like a herd, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the patriarch starts moving one way and everybody sort of follows. So you can imagine whenever old grandpa Judas <laughs> decided to create the zealot group, everybody's expected to be a part of the zealot group. You're not, you're not supposed to leave Galilee. You're not going to get registered, are you? No, 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 not us. We're zealots. We're going to fight for the way things. And that was the atmosphere in Galilee. And it was in that atmosphere that Oh, it was there. That Luke, back in, in, in verse 3, says that, that everyone uh, who was obedient went to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. And I've always wondered why Mary and Joseph stayed in Bethlehem for two whole years. And then after Bethlehem, they, they had to flee for their life, and they didn't flee back to their hometown of Galilee. They fled to Egypt. I wonder if it's because they weren't welcomed in Galilee. You see, the thing is, whenever God is doing a new thing in your life, sometimes you have to step outside of the circle of what he used to do. You can get so zealous fighting for what used to be that you miss what's meant to be. You can get so excited about the old days and the good on the way it used to be. And that's how we all, this is this, this how we always sang. There was old aunt so-and-so on the organ, and that's how it was. And you can get so locked into the way things used to be, even just used to be just last year. And this is how I used to respond, and this is how I always deal in my relationships, and this is how I always... And you can get so used to the circle that you've been in that you fight against what God is trying to do in your life. God was doing a new thing. God had to get Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so he used the political movement of that day. He used the political... And that, 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 that's another thing. There's no sphere that's outside of God's control. 
you might think elections and stuff and all that kind of God is in control of even of even Quirinius, of even Augustus, of even the political sphere. He's he's in charge of that and he's using that to fulfill his purposes on the earth. And you can fight against that. You can you can go against that. You can try to you can try to hold on to the way things were or you can look for what God is doing right now in the way things are meant to be. And, and Joseph and Mary knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And so I don't think they felt like, like they had much of a choice to, to side with their family or to step outside of the circle. Here's the thing. Whenever you step outside of the circle, there's always going to be people in the circle who are not happy with you. <laughs> Whenever you, if you're going to step outside of your circle of 2015 friends, then those friends are not going to be so friendly to you anymore. And so any time that we get bold or we get brave, there's going to be people that are going to judge you and look down on you and disrespect you and, 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 and not talk to you anymore. There's always going to be a Galilee that you have to leave. There's always going to be a, a Galilee that you're going to have to step away from when God's calling you to a Bethlehem. But it's always worth it. It's always it's always worth it for what God wants to do in your life. In fact, I believe that, you know, your destiny, the plan of God for your life is oftentimes behind your fear. It's oftentimes on the other end of what you're afraid of. It's oftentimes on the other end of what you didn't think you could live without and what you didn't think you could do without. It's oftentimes outside of your circle. <laughs> but churches are so good at sticking in our circle. We're so like we're so good at looking around and making sure everybody in our circle is happy. And that's what we do. We think about people in the circle and we think about those who are in the seats. and We think about those who are coming to our small groups and we think about it. And that's all good and great. But if that's all you think about, that's not a church. That's a club. And the church is supposed to be reaching people who are on the Mount Crumpet. They're supposed to be reaching people who are outside of the circle. And as far as I'm concerned, City Chapel is always going to be a church that gets out of the circle. And we're not going to spend all of our time making sure people in the circle are happy. We're going to be reaching out for people who are outside of the circle and bring them in to the family of God. Because you can sit around the circle and you can get fat in the circle and you can get, get, get real comfortable in the circle. And then high five each other on our way to heaven and then we get to heaven and it'll just be great. But what about the people who are outside? What about the people who aren't here yet? What about the people who are lost? What about the Grinch? We happened to meet a Grinch the other day, and so I'm praying for her. <laughs> I just thought of a whole other story there, but I'm going to keep that to myself. Um, <laughs> and that brings us to our second, our, our second point. Our second person who shows bravery um, is the Grinch himself. Because, uh, first of all, we have Cindy Lou who she shows bravery because bravery she steps out of her circle. And she receives the ridicule of those who are in the circle, by the way. They are all pretty upset at her. But also you have the Grinch who shows his own bravery in that he comes down from his hill. And that's my second point. If you really want to see what God has for you, if you really want to live without fear, you're going to have to come down from your hill. And so I have a, I have a little clip of the time when, when he kind of decides to accept Cindy's invitation and go on down with the who's. Check it out, check it out. Wow, and it's totally mute. And uh, it's all black and white films, I guess. <laughs> wow. 
Well, I don't have the whole thing memorized, so um, we'll just have to leave that one alone. Um, essentially, that's like my favorite part, too. Um, but essentially, he, he, he's sitting there, and he's looking at his schedule, right? And he's like, at, 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 at 7 o'clock, I have self-loathing. And uh, at 8 o'clock, I have dinner with myself. I can't cancel that again. Um, <laughs> at 9 o'clock, he is staring into the abyss. <laughs> at 10 o'clock, is wrestling with his self-loathing. And anyway, he's looking at his schedule. He's like, I can't go down because I'm too busy up here with myself eating trash, you know. And he's trying to make all these excuses. And what would I wear? And he doesn't have anything. And so he, he, uh, he kidnaps the, the, the guy. Anyway, and so he gets some clothes. He finally decides, sort of with the help of his dog, to go on down to uh, to the who's, to the, to the community of the folks down there. And really, that's the beginning of, of, of his transformation. That, that, that little decision is, has, has so much faith in it. That little, that, that's all right. That little decision has so much faith in it because that decision is when he chose to risk rejection that he had received before. So often we get stuck on our hill because of hurt. We get stuck on our hill because of pain that we've received and we don't want to come down from our hill. And yet if you're going to receive all that God has for you, you're going to have to come down from your hill. You're going to have to step into community. See, the, 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 the who's believed the lie. The who's believed that for them fulfillment was in the we. That as long as we have each other, as long as we got our circle, as long as we got our buddies and our pals, as long as everybody here believes in me and likes me and accepts me, then I will be fulfilled. And Cindy Lou challenged that lie. And she said, but what about the guy who's outside? What about the guy who's outside the circle? That was a lie. And by the way, our generation actually is a we generation. I love to preach on this, but sociologically, we are a we generation. Much of the time, what you hear from politicians and things is how we have to sacrifice for the good of the we. And we is more important than the rights of the individual. And we is, come on, somebody. Anyway, the we is, is king. The we is becoming king for the next 10 years. It's going to be about that way. But this is, this is what the who's believe down in Whoville, that we are complete together. We complete each other. We are perfect in and of ourselves. It's, it's about the we. But Cindy Lou challenges that, and she says, no, 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 there's somebody who's outside. We're not complete without him. And that guy who was outside, he believed his own lie. He believed the lie of the me. That fulfillment comes from me. That if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. That you can't trust anybody because, because the way to be happy is to sit up on your hill and eat your trash and uh, stare into the abyss, you know. And, and, and because I can find what I need inside of me. But that's just as dangerous a lie as the we. The lie of the me is just as strong and just as crippling and just as awful as the lie of the we because at some point it's not about just you you weren't put on this earth just to make you happy you are not the end product of everything that you possess inside of you and if you try to make you the end game of everything that you have then you 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 live in unfulfillment you never really get to understand the power that comes when you come down from your hill and you reach out to somebody else Sometimes you just, because as long as you're alive, like you, you still have a purpose and your purpose is bigger than you. God's plan for your life is bigger than you. 
I went and visited a guy in a, a hospital this week, and um, man, he's got, he had some, some issues, you know, definitely. He's in the hospital, and he's laying there on the bed. He can't talk, and he's got a long road of recovery ahead of him. And as I was talking to uh, one of his family members about what was going on with him, um, he just began just crying. And she said he's been doing this a lot, just, just out loud, like he's a grown man, but out loud just weeping and wailing. And, and, I, and, and I don't know what it's like to be in his shoes. I don't, I don't know what he's going through. I can't imagine how difficult the situation is. But as I reached down and put my hand on his shoulder and prayed for him, I just prayed, God, remind him of his purpose. Because when you focus on me, you get really discouraged really quick. You get really down really easily. And you get really melancholy and, and uh, self-loathing and all that stuff comes when you only think about me. And I said, God, remind him of his purpose. Remind him that he's still alive. Like if he's breathing, that means he's not done yet. <laughs> now he's got a rough road ahead of him. And I know that, and I know that's difficult, but God, if you, if you, can, just, if you can just remind yourself that you're here for more than just you, you'll be surprised how strong you are to get through what you have to go through perfect example Janie and Armando I think of Janie and Armando uh Janie and Armando would you just stand for just a second I want everybody to meet Janie and Armando they're right here they're they're kind of quiet people so I'm just going to embarrass them a little bit Janie I met Janie on Facebook a year and a half ago before we even started the church she contacted me on Facebook and then we talked on the phone I prayed with her over the phone and then they never came to any of our events so Anyway, um, side note, uh, and then and I would just check in on the phone with Janie, and and and, and I checked in, and she was in a lot of pain. She had a, a hip issue going, a back issue, several issues going on in her body. She was struggling, and she couldn't come to the events. And so one night, I was talking to her, and she said she couldn't even get out of the house. And I think it was in October last year. And I said, "Well, how about the prayer team like come to your house then?" And so the prayer, a bunch of ladies came and prayed with her at her house, and they came back and told me, man, Janie, she's a prayer warrior. She can, wow, this is awesome. Her house is beautiful, <laughs> lots of room. And uh, I said, well, let's, let's keep meeting there then. So, so you know, <laughs> come on, somebody. So, uh, so, so a few ladies kept meeting there as well as at Casey's house as well. So we had two prayer meetings going, and, and, and Janie still couldn't come because she was still dealing with her hip and with her back, and she had several surgeries in December of last year, in January, and their first time they ever came to anything was our launch day on January 25th, and they showed up, and I said, it's good to meet you, it's good to finally have you, and right away, right away, they, they started serving, and this year has not been easy for them, by the way, Janie lost uh, her mom, Armando lost his mom, how many family members did you all, have you all lost, six family members they've lost, and so you see the smile, you see what's going on, but I want to let you know that these are some strong people, and they're still standing. Yeah. You can go ahead and be seated. Every single, every single, uh, almost every single newcomer's meal that we've had, they've opened up their home, and they've cooked, and they've allowed people to come in to meet, meet um, my, my wife and I. Um, they've been having their prayer meetings on Tuesday nights, and... This past Friday, we had our first, kind of our first official, our second technically, but our first official city chapel um, Christmas party. We had like 100 people there, and like 90% of the decorations and a lot of the food came from that family right there. You might, you might, you got to come down from your hill. 
you you hey it's not it, you, it's not going to alleviate the pain you're still you're still going to have grief grief is good it's good to grieve you should feel i mean this season christmas when you're doing it without loved ones yeah you should miss them but you should not grieve alone you should not grieve alone and you should not grieve to yourself you got to come down off your hill and help somebody you got to serve somebody. You got to bless somebody. You got to cook for some. I mean, I was talking to a pastor last week, and he's a local pastor in Austin, small congregation, about 40 people. And he said that they had lost about nine people in their congregation, like three people had died in their congregation. And then family members, about six extended family members had passed away. And he said, I'm just trying to figure out how to comfort my people in this, 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 this holiday season because it's very difficult for them. I said, man, just get them off the hill. Just get them serving. Remind them that they have a purpose, that their loved ones may have gone on to heaven, but that should only make you miss heaven that much more. It should not stop your passion for Jesus. It should not stop your life. It should not stop you from serving or giving or loving others. Don't let what has died in your life kill what is left in your life. As long as you're living, you have a purpose. So get down from that hill it's not good up there you weren't meant to grieve alone you weren't meant to go through this stuff by yourself anyway <laughs> all right third point the third person who <laughs> i'm thankful for folks in our church i get inspired by them i i love i love what god's doing in their lives my third point is uh found in the crowd in the crowd we see our third way of being brave they have all their toys stolen um they have all their stuff stolen their trees their 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 cat um <laughs> everything's taken everything's gone they wake up christmas morning everything's gone the mayor is out in the middle of the street because his, his bed got pulled out there and and uh and he starts you know he starts hating on Cindy because Cindy kind of did this because the Grinch stole everything. And they're just, you know, they're, they're decimated. Their favorite holiday is Christmas, all the gifts that they spent so much time and effort doing. And it's all gone. And um, that's, that's this final clip whenever this happens. I want you to check out um, what happens after they realize that all their gifts are gone. The tall and the small were seen without any presents at all. <laughs> He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. <laughs> Mr. Grinch! And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought. Don't he? from a store. Maybe Christmas. Perhaps. 
stuff stolen and they're still singing and they and they they join hands they gather around the where the tree was and they they start singing and that's my final point is that if you want to be brave you want to step into what i believe what god has for all of us so you have to remember your song you you have to remember a song uh regardless of what you're going through um in second corinthians um chapter four verse eight let's read it together um, this is what Paul says about his his uh, his situation. Second um, Corinthians chapter four, verse eight. There it is. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus's sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written and this is what has been written he said I believed and so I spoke You need to have that same spirit of faith right there. I believed and so I spoke. Not I saw and so I spoke or I felt and so I spoke. But I believed and so the words coming out of my mouth were linked to my faith, not to my circumstances. We also believe and so we also speak knowing this is what we know. This is what we believe that that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory. Now, now hold on. The purpose is to extend grace to more and more people and that it may increase thanksgiving. Okay, so what is going to increase thanksgiving? Check this out. Verse 8, he says, we are afflicted. Oh, yay! Woo! Thank you for that, Lord. That's awesome. That's, I was expecting a raise, but okay, you know. No, it's not the raise that increases thanksgiving. It's not the new job or the new car or the new relationship. Those things make us feel thankful, but they don't really make us thankful. He says what increases thanksgiving, what increases our song, what reminds us that we still have a song and we can sing is when we are afflicted in... Oh, hey, go, go, going back to verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, 
but not crushed. This, this, this is the, this is the, the tension that you got to live with. First of all, I am not in control. You got to, you got to, you got to accept that you are not in control. We often, that's, that's the illusion of humanity. We like to believe that if we just make all the right moves, that we can be in control. We are not in control. God is in control. You're not God. You're not in control. Okay? So you, you, you got that. We, we, we accept that. But you, when you relinquish control, don't release your choice. What I mean is when you give up, when you recognize I'm not in control, Do not then buy the lie that you don't have a choice. Just because you're not in control doesn't mean that you don't have a choice. You are not in control of what happens to you, but you have a choice to make with regard to what happens in you. And what, 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 what happens is we often, we, we, we swing one way or the other. Either we believe we control everything, and so we get really discouraged when stuff doesn't go our way. Or we just say, okay, sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. Anyway, um, and we, 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 we live in this place of, I'm not in control, God's in control. And I just, you know, and, and, and one of the most frustrating things I hear is, well, I just didn't have a choice because she did, and she, he said that. And so I just really didn't have a choice. That's not true. In whatever situation you're in, you have a choice. Look at this. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. You can, you are not in control of whether or not you get afflicted, but you are in control as to whether or not that affliction crushes you. It's not, you're, you're, you're not in control of the bad stuff that happens to you, but you have a choice as to how you're going to respond to that bad stuff. The who's didn't have control over the, the toys that were taken, but they had a choice to still sing even in the midst of their loss. You have a choice. Just because you don't have control doesn't mean you don't have choice. Don't mistake control with choice. Understand that you don't have control. Live in the tension without control, but with a choice. And this is what the Apostle Paul did. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're deciding, we're choosing that we're not going to be crushed. In fact, we're perplexed, but we refuse to be driven to despair. Despair means to give up. You might be down. You might be discouraged. You can't control your emotions all the time, but you can choose whether or not you're going to give up. You can choose whether or not you're going to despair. And he says, we're not going to do that. We're persecuted, but we are choosing to remember that we're not forsaken. That whatever is coming against me, I cannot control that. But I can remember that God has not left me. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. You, 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 life will knock you down, but it's your choice as to whether or not life knocks you out. This is your choice. And he says, I'm not going to allow this to take me out. Instead, it's going to arise in me a thanksgiving. Because you never can be truly grateful for the presence of God in your life until you understand how useless the presence of everything else is. And so when some of that other stuff is removed, that's when you become more thankful for who God is in your life and the fact that God is there. Uh, on Friday before Halloween, several homes were flooded in this area. Our family was one of them. Our house, two and a half feet of water. A lot of stuff got flipped upside down, turned around. And it kind of messes up your life a little bit, especially when you realize that your house is too close to the pond, and so you can't rebuild uh, where you're at. And so we, you know, we lived at somebody else's house for a couple of weeks, and um, this was Friday. We had our Saturday Halloween outreach, and then we had church on Sunday. And the song that we had scheduled to sing on Sunday really impacted me and touched me. And it was called It Is Well. 
And and the words to the words to that song, at least the the pre-chorus part says, "Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, Jesus. Through it all, it is well. Through it all, my eyes are on you, and it's well with me." And so that's the place that you have to to come to. That you you can't choose when you get flooded or when your house is too close to a pond. And and there's some things that you that you didn't know, and there's some stuff that you cannot control. But you can choose to focus on Jesus. You can choose to look to Jesus. You can choose to look at the storm like Peter did while he was walking on the water and sink, or you can look to Jesus. And you'd be amazed at the at the strength that you have inside of you when you just keep your eyes on Jesus. You'd be amazed what you can go through and still keep your song and still stay encouraged. I was talking with some pastors a couple weeks ago. They asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I said I would like a bedroom. You know, like the kind with like walls and a door. Um, it's not that I don't love my kids. I just love my wife too, you know. Anyway. And a little door comes in handy every now and then, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> something other than a blow-up mattress would be nice as well, but you know. But that's where we're at right now. It's just what we're going through, and and it's not it's not it's it's not our fault. I mean, we're we're doing the best we can. FEMA's coming out, checking things out. We're doing the best. We're we're, we're moving forward. But I refuse to be a victim. Sit around, and wait for the government to bail me. I'm not, like, no, I, I'm bail myself out. I'm I'm I, like, I'm on the same purpose after the flood that I was on before the flood. God hasn't called me to worry about stuff that I can't control. God's called me to keep my eyes on him. And so as long as I'm, my eyes are on him, I haven't, this flood hasn't affected my purpose at all. Nothing that you lose, nothing that material, no car that breaks down, no, 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 nothing that breaks down in your life can affect the purpose that God has in your life. Because in the midst of the storm, Jesus is still there. He's still leading you forward. He's still calling you forward. And you can walk on, you can walk on what used to be threatening to crash over you. Be amazed how far you can walk on the water when you keep your eyes on Jesus. So I'm looking forward to 2016. I'm looking forward to the strength that many of you discover. <laughs> the strength that many of you discover when you learn how to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And I'm looking forward to the thanksgiving that wells up inside of us. And the thanksgiving, because we're going to face some stuff. 2016 is not going to be, you know, like like rainbows and unicorns and, and, and leprechauns and gumdrops and all that kind of stuff. It's not like that's it's not. It's good life. It's going to happen, and it's going to hit you and knock you down, and you're going to face stuff that you don't even think that you could. Oftentimes, what we fear the most is what happens to us, and that's not coincidence. God's trying to build your faith. God's allowing life to happen, and he's asking you to keep your eyes on him. And if you can keep your eyes on him, life will happen, but you're just going to walk on top of it. You're going to walk right through it. He's going to bring you to it, and then he'll bring you through it because his grace is enough for you. surprise yourself and you're going to surprise because you don't know who's who's watching as you go through stuff the Grinch was listening for the for the boo-hoos and the and the tears in the morning and he was surprised and he was shocked and he and he his heart grew because he heard the rejoicing he heard the singing that that came out of 
loss. So you don't know who's listening for the boo-hoos and the tears from me. How about you shock, how about you shock them <laughs> with some joy? How about you shock them with some peace and some contentment in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the loss? And see what kind of change will happen in our society, in our in our neighborhoods, and in our in our government, and in our South Austin and Buda and Kyle and in our homes and in our children when they see us go through stuff and keep our eyes on Jesus. Hmm. Would you bow your head and pray with me right now? And I want to offer the start of this relationship, the start of this bravery is to take that first step and say, I want to follow Jesus. And I want to invite him in to my heart. I want to make him my Lord. And I, will, I want to go toward him, even if he's out there on the wave. I want to move toward him. And if you want to make that that step today, I invite you to raise your hand with me right now and say, that's me. And I'm making that decision.